Welcome to another episode of the Get Your Edge podcast. I'm your host, Brian Bott from Sports Advantage here in Wisconsin. I'm here with my co-host, Coach Dean Manchie. Coach, how are we doing? Hey, it's just an unbelievable time of the year with all the postseason accolades coming out and teams vying for that, you know, that number one prize at state championship, Brian. Yeah, I tell you what, there's there's a lot of different things going on in the state, a lot of different sports, and it's really exciting um, to see the kids compete. Uh, it's also really exciting from our perspective, strength and conditioning. You know, we've been getting questions on training, you know, through the playoffs and stuff like that. We had, we had uh, addressed that in our last podcast, and it's really something that's important. You know, no matter how long your season goes, you got to keep consistency with your athletes, making sure that they're that they're in the weight room. Make sure you're managing their volume at practice and in the weight room. Right. You're not trying to do too much because, again, their their performance in the games is what's what counts right now. So it's really exciting to see our coaches in the state of Wisconsin, especially really taking that seriously. Reminder, everyone out there, coaches, parents, uh, athletes, please share the show. You know, share it with one friend, share it with one parent, share it with one coaching friend, you know, trying to get the word out as best we can, you know, across the country. But, you know, mostly in the state of Wisconsin, we want to keep educating and helping our student athletes our coaches and our parents. Uh, Dean, I am, I'm really excited um, today for our guest. Um, she was a, a softball player when I was at Wisconsin. She was def she's definitely one of my favorite athletes that I've ever worked with. Um, not only because of her work ethic, but just her, her genuine personality, um, her caring personality, but also her hard nosed personality. And that is Boo de Oliveira. Did I get that right? I did it right. Yeah, it's really yeah. nice. <laughs> um, so, Boo, give us a little, just a little brief about yourself, um, and then we'll kind of get into your background and, and things like that as we go here. It's great to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me. I just wanted to say thanks to everybody that's getting on. Um, I consider Wisconsin home, even though I'm not from there, and you guys are my people, so thanks for joining. So, a little bit about me. Um, my name is Boo De Oliveira. I'm originally Boo Gillette. Grew up in South Florida. Uh, youngest of five kids, big athletic family, four girls and a boy. All of us played sports from the time we could walk. Uh, went to St. Thomas Aquinas High School, which is one of the top academic and athletic high schools in the country. Uh, really learned just how to compete. Uh, played travel ball for a lot of competitive programs. Started at Pembroke Pines Fletcher Park, where if you came home without the state or national championship, you were kind of like shunned. It was definitely a dynasty program. Went to Wisconsin for my undergrad, played softball there, started coaching, um, got my master's at Purdue while I was coaching. And um, now I'm still a coach, but I'm also married and a mom of three. I have a seven-year-old Mila, an almost three-year-old Nico, and a three-month-old Nora. So um, kind of the cliff note version pretty quick, but um, it's been a whirlwind and excited to be back, you know, kind of full circle here talking with Bbot with you guys. And you guys are dealing with some of, uh, some of the best coaches in the country here with Dean and Brian. So make sure you guys are really being sponges and listen to them. Oh, that was a great intro. Going back to that Florida experience, you know, growing up and being very competitive. Talk a little bit about that because, uh, you know, competitive sports, youth level is just, it's getting crazier and crazier as the years go by, it seems, as we get older. From when I, you know, I went to school, you know, it was just kind of one of those situations. You went from one sport to the next sport. And now we're seeing people in a sport and then they're doing skills in a different sport you know, that they're going to be doing, and they're probably almost playing two sports at the same time. Give uh, give us your experience in Florida. Yeah, I, I would say just to touch on you saying them playing two sports at one time, encourage that. I think there are too many people that try to specialize in one sport, causes a lot of overuse injury. And what happens if all of a sudden your kid's not good at the sport that you specialized in when they were eight? 
You know, I mean, if my daughter wants to be a college softball player and she gets to be awesome, but the reality is, is that about 7% of athletes get to play at the college level. So, you know, if you get to be one of those really lucky few, you want to make sure you have options. Uh, my kid plays basketball, basketball, soccer, softball. She wants to try karate, dance, cheerleading. I don't care. It's her journey, not mine. Um, so getting back to your question about living in Florida. Yeah, I think the, you know, big difference for me growing up was that you didn't switch teams. Uh, you see a lot of that now where, you know, there's not, you know, there's not playing time or, you know, the coach didn't treat me right. Or my parent can't be a coach and, or they're going to give me more, you know, more money towards my registration and, and people just hop teams so quick. And something that was really great about the park that I grew up at, which was Fletcher park and Pembroke pines was that you competed to be on the A team. You competed to be on the B team and wherever you ended up is where you ended up and you earned it. You, it wasn't because you were a sponsor or because, you know, your parent was the coach or whatever. Um, you had to earn it. And the A team was the elite team and you went and you competed every single weekend for your park. And there was a lot of pride in who you played for because you played for that park from the time you could play softball. I, I've played for the same park since I was four years old. Uh, we ended up, you know, switching parks. I think when I was about 11 or 12, because fast pitch came in and took over and I had been playing slow pitch. So we went to fast pitch, but you played for the same team. And I think, you know, a big difference also that I'm seeing is that um, the coaches weren't coaching for salaries. So they weren't coaching, getting paid for lessons or um, you know, that wasn't their full-time job. They were parents that were trying to do the best for their kids. They were hard nosed showing up straight from work, changing in the bathroom and coming out and coaching and, and you listened and you just learned and, um, I think a lot of the playground mentality of playing for fun has been taken out of youth sports. And that's really sad to me that it's become a recruiting process and kids are, it seems like kids are on the kind of on the pro tour, like they're playing to be seen and showcase and that level of competition where there's an actual scoreboard and there's a win and a loss. And it's not just everybody gets a ribbon or everybody gets a trophy. I feel like a lot of that has, has changed and, if I had grown up in that environment, I don't think I would have been as competitive um, as I am now. Man, I'm gonna tell you what, I'm jacked up already. That that was <laughs> that was fantastic. <laughs> I mean, that that that's so true. You, you know what I mean? I mean, the loyalty, it, it's it's bounce, 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 you know, go to where go to where you know someone's telling you what you want to hear versus learning how to struggle and battle through adversity. You know, I mean, my kids have played with a lot, and my kids have played with a lot of different kids. That, you know, maybe when they started, my kids were better than them. And as we go through, you know, they ended up getting, you know, to be better at them at baseball and things like that, or football or all these other things. And you see kids progress and advance. But if you're always bouncing around, you know, you're hearing different voices, you're hearing different things. And all you're looking for is someone to tell you exactly what you want to hear that your kid's a division one, you know, player or whatever like that versus, hey, you know, you didn't make the A team. What does that mean? You probably should work harder. You know, you take a realistic look and maybe, you know, for, for boys, I can say maybe you haven't gone through puberty yet. And a lot of the other kids have it. So they've hit a growth spurt. So at the end of the day, I think boot, those are great messages. Trust the process, keep working, you know, things like that. Well, um, and it translates to life, yeah. right? Like what are you teaching Absolutely. these kids? And you look at the transfer portal and there was over 300 softball athletes that went in the transfer portal and not all of them get picked up. Not all of them get a scholarship. And it's the same thing with life, right? Like you get married or, or you choose not to get married, whatever you're in any kind of relationship and you have to learn how to, how to work with people. And they might not be people that 
are always someone you want to listen to, but I think, you know, make your kids dig in a little bit more. And, and, you know, if you have to leave a team, you have to leave the team sometimes, but make sure it's not just because of playing time, because playing time is not guaranteed anywhere, especially at the college level. I think that that goes right into, you know, people in the workforce. I mean, you know, like I could have quit sports advantage three years in and gone back to college coaching and whatever, but at the end of the day, and cause we were just starting, you know I mean, we had no idea where we we're going to be. And I think young people are getting that message that they think they should be making six figures right out of college. They should be doing this. They should be doing this. And if they're not doing it in two to three years, they quit. Well, they don't have an, and then they do it two or three more years somewhere else and they quit two or three. And so they've been 10 years in, they've had three or four jobs. They don't have anything substantial built. And so those are great points, boo. Um, so then you, you commit to Wisconsin, right? Florida girl, beautiful weather. And then you come in, it's like October and it's snowing out. You know, Um, and so you you get to come and experience college softball and rumor has it you had a a pretty cool strength coach. Tell us a little bit about that experience in Wisconsin. Yeah, (laughs) I had a great strength coach. So a funny story of my start of my relationship with B-Bot. I won't tell any bad ones. They're all appropriate, obviously. But um, I can remember getting my strength packet my senior year. And I'm I'm a doer. Like if you tell me that something has to be done, I'm going to do it 100%. And I'm going to make sure that I am ready to go and prepared. So, so bot sends the strength packet. And one of the things for the warm up was this thing called the Superman. I had no idea what a Superman was. So I think I left him a voicemail about, Hey, you know, this is Boo Gillette trying to figure out your packet. And he called back right in the middle of dinner. And I was not going to miss that call. Cause you know, I was kind of scared of him at the time. And I'm in the middle of dinner with my family. And I remember him being like, get on the ground put your arms out, put your legs out, do that. And I'm under the dining room table doing the Superman, you know, while my whole family, five kids, all of us are sitting there having dinner. Um, so that was my first, that was my first memory of, of Brian, but, um, yeah, you know, coaching was a lot different when I was in college than it is now. Um, and I don't mean that in a bad way, but you could do things, you could say things, you could motivate different ways. And, um, Brian was really tough as a strength coach and I loved every minute of it. That is exactly how I ticked as an athlete. And I think that, you know, part of what is tough for coaches right now is they're a little bit handcuffed on, and at least at the collegiate level, not handcuffed, but there's things you can and can't do. And obviously there's a way to treat people, but, um, I loved how hard Brian was on us. And I think kids and athletes, I don't want to say kids, cause you know, there's different age groups watching this, but people don't realize that the best shape you're ever going to be in is when you're in college or when you're in high school, whatever your, you know, your pinnacle of your athletic career is, that's the best shape you're ever going to be in and really dig in because when you're done with college, there's no one making you get up at, you know, for a five or 6am workout. There's no one counting your reps. There's no one demanding that you reach your ceiling. And, you know, Brian did that for us at Wisconsin. He made sure that we all reached our ceiling in the weight room so that it could translate on the field. And I think another thing that was a really big factor of being coached by bot was how much he cared about us. Like he was so hard on us. I can remember like one time doing a jump box and telling him this is as high as I can go. And he's like, no, you can get higher. And I was like, I I'm telling you, buddy, in my head, I'm like this, this dude's crazy. I can And I ended up not being able to get higher. I missed the box. I totally sliced my shin open you know, but like, I tried it. I I still have a really nice scar from it. Um, I tried it, you know, and, and I did it because he cared about us so much that we were willing to do anything he asked of us. And that's a big part that coaches miss is that you can't just go barking orders in the weight room, barking orders, you know, on the field, in the gym, whatever the athletes have to know that you care about them. And once they know you care about them, the trust, the respect, all of that 
comes with it because you become their person. You're their safe zone. You're not the person that decides playing time when you're the strength coach. You're just the person that helps them get to the point where they can earn that playing time. Um, so thanks for that bot, because at the time, man, it was, it was tough getting through some of those workouts, especially, you know, you're, you're coming in off a scooter and, you know, minus degree weather at five or six in the morning. And you're, you know, you're trying to get jazzed up about being in the weight room and, and you're not a revenue sport. You're a non-revenue sport, but you have a strength coach that treats you like your revenue sport. And that is so important to make sure the athlete knows that they are, they are the priority. They are the big time, because if you want your athletes to make where they're at their big time, you have to make it big time for them. Um, and you remember, you remember on Halloween, the, we had, we had lifting the day after Halloween and Halloween at UW is like Mardi Gras. Like it uh -huh. is, it is all go. Oh, and yeah. I remember you telling us, I don't care if you come in your blah, blah, blah costume, you better be here because I have to be here. And let me tell you, some of those girls that I played with, they came in their costumes. Oh, yeah. But we there's, all a lot of, there's a lot of unique makeup on their face. Them. Yeah. Yes. I think I think, you know, two things. One, the, the first, I I think you were in that meeting when I talked to you guys. And I said, you know, I, I'm not concerned with, you know, how this fits, how this fits, anything like that. My job is not to do X, Y, and Z. My job is to make you a better athlete. And after you're done, if you want a program that's going to help you know, with some other things in your life, I, I can help you with that. And the second thing, Boo, that I just want to share, and I think you made the point because I was wanting to make it, is I didn't view you guys as a non-revenue sport. Mm -hmm. And I think that happens way too much in, in the college setting. I think it happens way too much in the high school setting. Um, you have the football coach, and, and we have a lot of really good football coaches that aren't doing this, so I don't want to preface that. But you have the football coach in the high school weight room. His kids come in you know, he's all jacked up, amped up. And we, I know this because we're dealing with it at our schools. He's all jacked up, things like that. And then, you know, maybe some of the other sports or the female sports come up and the, the intensity isn't there. And that was something for me, I took a lot of pride in how you guys trained because like, I didn't like, I wanted you guys to train as hard as anybody because you guys were my, were, were my girls. And I think the last part of all that is as hard as I was on every one of you, and when I see you guys at a reunion, to everybody, thank you, appreciate it, love you, bot, God miss you, all this stuff, because at the end, and parents need to hear this, coaches aren't hard on their kids because they don't like you, they're hard on their kids because they love them. And that's why I was so hard on the girls, because I loved them to death, because they came, they worked hard, they could be pushed, they trusted me, I trusted them. And that's what coaching is all about. You can't always be the, the kid's buddy. Like if you're like, if you're buddies with the kid, and I told you guys that too, I said, Especially we can be as friends. A head coach. <laughs> yeah. And I said, we can be friends when you're done playing, but we're not, we're not friends right now. Like my job is to make you better. So dog, go ahead. Well, good thing boo for those padded uh, plyo boxes that they have now. Cause that's yeah. Oh, yes. stars <laughs> on chins. Yeah. there's no doubt about that. Talk about um, that experience at Wisconsin. Yeah. It, how it molded you into your coaching realm. So you got done playing, you got into coaching. Now it's totally different. Yeah. You know, like I said, I'm not from Wisconsin, but man, I had so much pride wearing Wisconsin across my chest and getting to be a badger and really, you know, really bought into the badger being the most ferocious animal in the animal kingdom. And that we were the underdog mentality, blue collar, you know, blue collar kids playing for a university, not being able to practice outside year round. Um, when I went on my official visit, 
I, I don't even know if I owned a sweatshirt ever growing up in South Florida. Like I came on the official visit during Labor Day weekend. The leaves were starting to change color. The lake was beautiful. You know, Madison's a special place where you can be, you know, earthy, hippie, quirky, whatever you are, like your jam can be found there. So I knew as soon as I went to Wisconsin that it was my place. And I had visited all other SEC schools um, in Notre Dame. And I, I didn't even have Wisconsin in my mind because I, I mean, I remember Coach Gallagher calling me and saying, do you know what our colors are? And I said, yeah, green and yellow. <laughs> Packers. <laughs> I had no idea. No idea. Um, because it, you know, it wasn't in my wheelhouse to think that I was going to move to Wisconsin, but um, I really learned how to be adjustable. You know, I had my winter coat on in September on my scooter. I had no idea how to, how to deal with winter. I, I learned how to practice inside. Um, I learned how to be resilient and to be a really good teammate. So I, I played every single game of my college career. I started every single game, which is really rare. Um, but after my freshman year, I had to have compartment surgery on both of my legs at the same time. So I had to sit out the fall, which seemed like an eternity at the time, you know, but had I not had that fall of having to watch someone play my position, getting the experience of what it's like to sit on the bench and to, to have to be a good teammate and to still be able to be a leader. Um, I think that really shaped the kind of like leader and captain I became at Wisconsin because I had a better understanding of what, you know, my teammates, you know, there's, there's sometimes 25 to 30 people on a team and only really nine to 12 get to play in a game. And for everyone else, they're training just as hard. They're working just as hard. They want to be on the field. Their parents are spending just as much money to come watch them and having that understanding of like, wow, this is, this is really the toughest position on the team is to be on the bench. Uh, and I really learned how to be gritty because we didn't have some of the, you know, we didn't have the weather that some of the other schools had. We might not have had some of the glitz and the glam. And at the time, you know, Wisconsin stadium was one of the best in the country, um, for, for what female sports had. And I took a lot of pride in choosing Wisconsin and playing there because in my mind, they treated their athletes like football. So like you got the locker room, you got the stadium, you had, you know, you had this, you traveled on a plane, like, um, but it really taught me how to be gritty. And like I said, resilient and, and just how to compete because like, like Brian said earlier, you know, you're competing in the weight room to learn how to compete on the field. And I really think that strength coaches, a, a big reason why, I'm, why I, as a coach value strength coaches is because I do think that the toughness of athletes is built in the weight room. It is built off the field. On the field, you're building the skills and the game IQ. But in the weight room, you're building the mental toughness. You're building that team camaraderie. You're building the, the things that are, are so valuable on game day that people just don't realize how much stuff goes on in that weight room that really makes the athlete become that true competitor, that that warrior, W-A-R-R-I-O-R, -R -R, not a warrior, W-O-R-R-I-E-R. -R -R. You learn that in the weight room. That's awesome. That's God, who am God, I love you to death. Um, <laughs> you too, um, hey, you, I mean, you helped me learn this. Stuff, I love right? it. I love it. <laughs> um, so then two years after playing, you get a, a job at MATC, like, mm -hmm. I mean, head coaching job. I mean, that's, that's crazy, right? Two years after playing, tell us how that happened and kind of what you learned from that. So I actually started at Edgewood for a year in my fifth year, I was finishing up school. Um, and I started at Edgewood as a coach. Okay. And I will say like at Edgewood, I really learned how to be a servant leader. I think I made like a thousand dollars for the whole year. 
And it was such a great experience learning how to transition out of being an athlete to be a coach. And while I was at Edgewood, I was recruiting the MATC team because the program had been dormant for nine years. So I, I interviewed with Steve Hauser, who is no longer the AD there. He's retired from being an AD, but um, he took a chance on me. And I'm forever grateful for that because I learned, I think I learned more honestly at MATC about coaching than any other stop as far as the whole big picture. So at that junior college level, you know, you, you don't have some of the resources. And I thought I knew how to work hard until I started to coach at MATC. And I learned how to really compartmentalize things and be present where my feet are. You know, I would a day in the life as, as a coach there, I would wake up, I would go be the strength coach because we didn't have a strength coach, you know, and, and you're training this team and trying to make them feel like their priority of like, Hey, I am your strength coach. We're going to train. I'm going to do the workout with you. Um, so I'd finish, you know, I'd finish strength conditioning. I'd go take a shower in the, in the locker room. I'd, I'd change clothes. I'd go to my classes. Cause I was working on my master's. I'd go student teach. I'd come back. I'd do the field. So I learned that appreciation for the field crew who is super underrated in almost every facet of life. Like they are, those are your people. Those are the people you need to take care of the janitors and the field crew that take care of your facility and take care of your field. So I do the field. I'd, I'd go to practice and then I'd change clothes again. And I'd go waitress at Texas roadhouse to pay for my schooling. And then after that, I'd usually go bartend at Wando's, you know, and go to sleep and, and do it all over again. And I think having that experience of having to kind of fill multiple roles really prepared me to be a head coach because I learned how to wear different hats and to manage time and, and to really be grateful for the resources I have. I think a lot of times we get caught in complaining about what we don't have. You know, I don't have the greatest weight room or I don't have the greatest field or I don't, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't, instead of what do I have and not what do I have to do? I, I don't have to line the field. I don't have to mow the grass. I get to do that. There's so few people that get to be coaches at a high school or a college level. And if you can change your mindset to getting to do it, it's something you get to do. Um, it one, it makes you, it makes you less selfish. You become selfless and you start to realize it's not about you. It's not about what you're doing as a coach. It's about the experience that you're providing for your athletes. Who after that, you were at multiple, mm -hmm. you know, different programs, you know, different universities and things like that. Want to talk about some of those experiences and what you really um, got out of some of those experiences that, that shape you and the person that you are today? Sure. Um, my first stop for Division One was at Purdue. So I left MATC and I became a D1 coach and I worked for um, an Olympian, Kim Marr, who was, I mean, she made every athlete better and she was a very hard nose. She was extreme discipline. It was there was no excuses. You either get it done or you don't. And, and that was how we coached too. You know, when I became a D one head, a D one assistant, she's like, figure it out. You know, there was no manual. There was no, let me hold your hand. It was figure it out. And I'm sure that's what a lot of your audience experiences too, is you become this coach and it's like, you're in a new system or you're in a new school district, you're in a new program, whatever. And you got to figure it out. Um, and I really learned how to be a professional there because I was coaching people that were my age. You know, I was coaching um, I was coaching athletes that I had played against in the big 10. They were freshmen when I was a junior or a senior. And the same thing when I was at MATC, I had, I had a, who a Brian actually knows, um, Kim, that was a mom and came back and played, you know, and I was coaching people that were older than me. So learning that level of professionalism, because as a new coach, if you screw that up in the beginning, you're screwed for your whole career. You can't do inappropriate things. You can't be friends. You have to learn to separate yourself. You can be like Brian said, you can be caring. You can, you know, you can make it a family, but I really learned how to be a professional. I couldn't even drive the van at the time that I got hired. I was too young for the insurance and we didn't have buses. Then you traveled by minivan. 
I drove a van with no windows with the equipment in it, you know, and I had to, I led the, I led the GPS for the team to get to where they're going, but really learned how to be a professional. Um, then I went to UNC, uh, North Carolina, Chapel Hill, and I coached with Donna Papa, who is a hall of famer. And to this day is one of my greatest friends, my greatest mentors and truly family. And I saw a different way of coaching. And I really saw how to love your athletes and how to make your program a family. And that was what really got me hooked on like, okay, this is going to be my long-term career. Like, I don't need that fallback of, of what am I going to do when coaching isn't happening? I'm going to coach. I am a coach. This is what I've always wanted to do. And she really just taught me that, um, you know, like I said before, if your athletes know you care about them, they're going to empty the tank for you every day. And at Carolina, it was such an honor and a privilege to be a Tar Heel that reminding people of that honor and that privilege, because it becomes a grind when you're playing any sport, you know, it becomes, oh, practice weight room. And you forget what an honor and a privilege it is. And at Carolina, that's a big part of their culture. Um, then I went to Arizona state and went from, you know, a top 25 program at UNC to a top 10, top 15 program at ASU. And I really learned how to stay one step ahead of my athletes because the athletes I was coaching were all Americans and team USA players. And they were so just, they were the elite of the elite. And if you come at your athletes and you're not up to date on techniques, on technology, on what is the, you know, what's the heartbeat of your sport or what you're doing, they're not going to take you seriously. You know, and you have to come at that with confidence. And that confidence comes from being prepared in what you're doing, knowing what the latest trends are, what, what, what from the past is good to keep and what do we need to grow and expand on? Um, so that was exciting. And really realizing that even when you're at the pinnacle of your career, you're at the top, um, it's lonely because you're trying to stay at the top. There's no, I made it and just settle. You got to keep fighting and you got to keep recruiting and you got to keep coaching at that level to stay at that level. Uh, after ASU, I went to Arkansas in the SEC and I worked for, um, Courtney Dyfel, who was amazing. She's a great human being and has developed a great culture there. And they become uh, multiple time SEC champs. They go to postseason. But when we were there, you know, we were at the bottom of the barrel in the SEC and we were recruiting against top competitors. And we went in, you know, we didn't care who we were recruiting against. We went against the best of the best and we got the best of the best. And I really learned how to just get back up when you're knocked down because it's just a constant battle in that SEC and, and really in any sport, but it's a constant battle. And then I came to Purdue and became a head coach. And uh, I came to Purdue when I was, uh, I was my, my oldest daughter was maybe two, two and a half months old. So I was learning how to be a new mom, learning how to be a head coach. And I'll tell you, for those of you that are trying to make that jump from being an assistant coach to a head coach, whether it's strength and conditioning or in a sport, it's not as easy as you think. Um, everybody wants to sit in the head coach's chair and then you get in the head coach's chair and it's like, wow, this is, this is so much more than I thought it was. And you start to realize that maybe your head coach does certain things because of the pressure they're getting from administration or the pressure they're feeling from X, Y, and Z. And, and it's just not as easy as everybody thinks it's really not. And being a head coach is about managing people and managing personalities and the amount of skill set that you get to coach is a lot less the higher up you go because you're dealing with fundraising and donors and people getting in trouble and helping your athletes stay eligible. Um, and I think when I, you know, when I first started at Purdue, I had a lot of team rules and I was all about the manual, you know, and what what are the rules? And and that's just not me. I'm a rule follower, but you know, I'm a rule follower because I'm a good person because I do the right thing. And that's what your athletes should do. You got to teach them, do the right thing all the time, even when no one's looking. 
but you have to find your style of coaching that works for you. Because if you're trying to use someone else's manual or someone else's rule book or someone else's playbook, you're not going to be your authentic self and your athletes are going to see through that. And they're not, they're not going to buy into, you know, buy into your Kool-Aid that you're trying to get them to, to drink. Um, and I think also just learning to lean in, you know, I think as coaches, a lot of times what we don't do well is we don't share our success with other coaches, how we did it because, oh, they might come and take my job or, oh, they might beat my team or they might train that athlete better. When in reality, something that's really beautiful about the big 10 conference is that all the coaches share with each other and they want everybody to, to get better. And it's not just about, um, it's not just about your team and understand that as a coach too, whatever program you're in, it's not just about the team you're currently coaching. It's about what you're doing for the future of that program and for the future of that athlete. And I know that was kind of long, sorry, but I've That's been a good. lot of no, stops you hit, the, the you hit the Purdue question. Exactly. That was going to be our next one. Um, but boo. So while you were talking, I, I sent a picture of, of us to Kim. And <laughs> so Kim said, love her to death. She's the reason why I do the things I do in my life right now. So that's a that I mean that's just a really spontaneous thing. So that's awesome. Boo, now you you're, you're away from you're away from coaching. Um, your mom, uh, tell us about that. Tell us kind of how that a little bit how that came to be, and tell us how awesome it is to be able to spend the time with your kids. Yeah, you know I think you know in in answering that question, I'll say this: something that I've always told my athletes is that your identity is not wrapped up in your sport. And who you are is not just an athlete. So it's important to really love your players and get to know them as humans and as athletes. And that was, you know, that was a big challenge stepping away from, from coaching for, from college coaching right now. Um, I'm still doing coaching K through 12. I, I, my husband and I own a business, uh, coach Boo softball camps, and we do clinics and camps and all kinds of stuff. But, you know, I've been an athlete since I was born. I feel like, I feel like I was born at the ball field and I went from being an athlete to being a coach and everything about my presence was a coach. You know, I, I mean, sometimes I find myself even as a mom, I'm like, gosh, I'm, I'm, I'm talking like a coach right now. So I, I think reminding your athletes, your identity is not wrapped up in that, uh, life kind of tells you, you know, life works out. Life has funny ways of working out. I, I had a baby this summer, ended up having to have a, a big surgery and, um, you know, I'm taking some time to recover mentally from not mentally, physically from that and, and trying to just be the best I can be in, in where I'm at. You know, I've got kids that are at a really big impressionable age. I, I do think college coaching is on the horizon for me. I, I definitely want to get back into it, but you know, right now, um, that's what I needed. And I, I think that goes back to what you guys were talking about earlier about, you know, recovery and stuff like that. Like my body needed that. Like I had a baby eight weeks later, I had this monster surgery. Um, it's a 16 week recovery. That's, that's an entire semester. Uh, I'll say for those of you that are coaches that have spouses really, really, really every day, thank your spouse for letting you do what you get to do because behind every coach is a family that sacrifices a lot. Um, it's a spouse that when you move has to start a new job. It's a spouse that has to, um, deal with you when you win and deal with you when you lose. And I know a lot of times things that we're not good at is letting it go. You know, one time my husband said to me, um, no one outside your bubble cares that you won or lost. Nobody cares. Like the world's going on. It's not about your win and your loss. And in that moment, I was like, you know, what a jerk. Like it is huge. Like we <laughs> just lost a game. I'm pissed off. Like leave me alone. You know, but that really stuck with me that, um, take some time in the locker room to let your losses go. Um, something else that was really told to me that really helped me in just balancing family and, and coaching is, um, celebrate the wins more and get rid of the losses faster. 
So you're, you know, you're going to lose. Everybody has losses, whether that's, you didn't have a good day in the weight room. You didn't have a good day at practice. You didn't have, you know, you didn't win the game, but being able to celebrate those small wins, whether it's, you know, getting an athlete that is coming back from an injury to get to do more than body weight or having an athlete participate that hasn't been able to participate winning the game, celebrate those wins more. But, um, the family piece is really important. And for me, for me, it's, that's, you know, my, my core values at Purdue were grit, family, discipline, and fortitude. And, um, I'm a gritty person, but family is family is the ultimate, like that's, who's going to be there when, when you don't have the win, when you don't have, we don't have a job, who are the people that are going to pick you up and remind you of who you are and that you got this and you can do it because, you know, as we know, as coaches, like we, we judge and at least myself, I don't want to speak for everybody, but I feel like we judge our worth as a coach off of how our athletes perform. And the reality of it is, is that sometimes, sometimes they don't perform. They don't, you know, sometimes they strike out with the bases loaded and you lose the game. Or sometimes you bring that, that coach to the weight room to watch them and they can't lift heavy. And you're like, what's going on here, dude? Like we did this yesterday. Now people are here and, and you can't get it done. Um, but I'm loving it. And, uh, you know, I'm seeing a whole different, I'm seeing a whole different view and don't get so caught up in that coaching tornado of always being on that. You can't put your phone down when you're at home and that you can't be present, whether you have a family or not, like you need that time to have you time. You got to do something that's you so that you can be the best version of yourself for your athletes. Boo, I'm super excited to hear what your, get your edge advice is because my head is just uh, blowing up right now with all the great things and the messages that you're giving our listeners right now. But we ask all of our guests, because the podcast is called Get Your Edge, what would be your Get Your Edge advice? Get Your Edge advice. Okay, so the standards are the standards. Don't lower your standards. You, you got to keep them. You do, because if you don't keep them, you can't expect your, your captains or your leaders or anybody on your team to keep them. Um, find who Find who your good leaders are and empower them to lead your team. Your team should be coach led or player led, sorry, player led, not coach fed. You should be developing athletes that when you're not around, they're making sure that they're getting the reps done, that they're behaving off the field, that they are, you know, that they're doing the things that they're supposed to do. Um, I think how you do anything is how you do everything. Make your athletes, make their bed, challenge them, make your bed. It's not that hard. Like if you, I've never had an athlete that had a messy locker that didn't have a messy room or that didn't have a messy school bag and that didn't have just chaos in their life. Unorganized. You know, You're I, unorganized. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think, um, you know, our program worked with Brian Kane at one point and that was something he really told our team, like, get up and make your bed. It's not that hard. That's how you start your day. I, I also think just, um, embracing your role and, you know, parents, I think right now get caught up in not wanting to hear role role player, right? Like your kid's a role player being a role player. Doesn't mean you sit the bench. Your role might be that you're the lead by example. Your role might be that you are the the leader that is vocal, you know, I think understanding what that role is. And I think learning as a coach, how to be a direct communicator, there's a difference between being a jerk and being a direct communicator. Athletes want to know where they stand in your program. Are they the starting second baseman or are they two back from that? And what do they need to do to get there and have a plan for each of your athletes? And I know I've been talking a lot about softball. That's just my sport. So that, you know, it's relative to anywhere. Are they your starting linebacker? Are they your, you know, starting setter, whatever. Um, communicate with them on, Hey, this is where you're at. This is what you need to do to get to where you want to be. And I think too, letting your, letting, letting your athletes pick their goals. You know, we always come in as coaches and we're big on small-term goals and long-term goals, but what are your athletes goals? 
you know, because I, I can remember we have, we had an athlete and I'll say her name's Rachel Becker. Um, and she was an all American at Purdue and phenomenal athlete. And she's actually, she actually played for the Wisconsin bandits, um, or sorry, Wisconsin lightning. I think it was lightning. Got, I have so many kids in my head right now. Sorry, but <laughs> she's from Illinois and played for a Wisconsin team and a small team that no one watched. I mean, I, we went and kind of babysat her games to make sure that we could get her to come to Purdue because she was so talented. But I can remember sitting down with her and saying, you know, you could be an all American. Like you realize how good you are, you know, like, do you realize that, but you need to train like an all American. You need to have a, a mental game, like an all American. You need to be a teammate, like an all American. And, um, the people that are at the elite level, they do everything at the elite level. They don't just come to practice at the elite level. They eat at the elite, elite level. They you know, they feed their body at the elite level. They recover. And I, I think that as a, as a coach that's been in and now I've been a coach for 18 years and something that I didn't do at the beginning of my coaching career, even, even at the, you know, the first couple of years was allow that time for recovery. Your athletes need it. Like their bodies need it. Their brains need it. If you are struggling as a coach to get up and get to practice and you're so tired and you're so sore, guess what? Your athletes are too. And they probably need a little break and listening to that. And that's the, that's the part of going back to saying, know who your leaders are so that you can have that conversation of, Hey, how are we doing? Where's our, where's our team at mentally? Um, I think something that's really cool that you guys could do with your program at the start, whether it's lifting or at practice is do a quick check-in. So every day at practice, our team circles up and we do a high low and it takes literally five minutes. If you don't have five minutes, like, come on, it's five minutes of your day. So the athlete, this is how it goes. You get them in a circle and they get a chance to tell you they're high and they're low. So it might be my high, like I totally dominated lift this morning, my low, like I bombed my chemistry test. And that way, you know, as a coach, Hey, if so-and-so is a little bit off, maybe, maybe so-and-so had a death in the family, or maybe they had a crappy day or sorry. I don't know if you can say crappy, sorry. Um, you know, maybe they're stressed <laughs> out about the test that they have later, but that goes back to the human side of understanding your athletes are not just athletes that they're humans. So I know that was kind of a, a jumble of things, but awesome. I do think the gratefulness that we talked about earlier of just kind of having that attitude of gratitude, no matter what you're doing. Um, you know, I, I know like bot your, your gym is awesome. I have seen so many pictures of it and it's, it's, it excites me so much that it has your touches all over it because it like, I want to go lift there. It motivates me to go lift there. And I think for some of the coaches that are watching this, that maybe don't have that weight room or don't have the graphics or don't have, you know, what you think you have to have to be great. Make stuff on your computer, laminate it, put it up, put you, you have things that you want them to see every day. You want to remind them of standards, put it up. You want them to do things a certain way, put it up. You want them to, to take pride in the weight room, make them clean up after themselves, make them wipe down the bench, make them put it back how they found it. Because that's just things that, like I said, the things that you learn in the weight room, they translate onto the field. If you don't learn how to be a good teammate, you don't learn how to be disciplined. You don't learn how to be tough, you know, how to take criticism. You're not gonna be able to take it on the field. And then you're not gonna be able to take it in life. And I think also explaining to your younger athletes, the difference of professional feedback versus personal feedback. It takes a long time to learn that. So example, okay. Um, your pitcher threw a fat pitch and gave up a bomb and you lose the game. I'm not disappointed in, you know, I'm not disappointed in Alex. I'm disappointed in the performance that Alex had. And when we're done with this and we've talked about it, I'm still going to love you as a person. And I think that that's a really hard thing for kids to learn. So if parents can start parents and coaches can teach their kids the difference of professional feedback versus personal coaches aren't giving personal feedback. They're not 
They're not picking at the person. They're not, you know, criticizing the person. They're giving professional feedback and do it as a sandwich, you know, sandwich, unless you're doing keto, you got two pieces of bread and stuff in the middle, right? So you start with, you start with kind of that compliment of like, Hey man, you are, you are so, you are getting it done in the weight room. I love it. You know, something I want you to work on. Like you don't, you don't lift your teammates up. You don't embrace them. You don't bring anybody with you. We can't bring the whole team to that level until you help get them to that level and then finish it up with like, I know you're a great leader. You got this. I need you to do this, empower them. So that sandwich technique is something I really like to use. Man, boo, that was fantastic. So just real quick, when we, when we were off air, we talked a little bit about head coach relating to the strength coach. Give us, yeah. your, give us your, you had some great thoughts on that. I wish we were recording it. So let's see if we can repeat <laughs> that because I think it's a, it's a, it's a really great message because I think a lot of times head coaches wanted to dive into the weight room and tell the strength coach, Hey, we need this. We need this. We need this. Give give us your thoughts on that. Yeah. I think there, it goes both ways. You know, I think you have some strength coaches that only want to see numbers in the weight room. They want to see increases in strength or increases in speed and coaches need to see how that translates to the field. So like our strength coach, when I was at Purdue was Corey Barboza and he did a great job of using, um, I forget some, they're called something plates. I forget the name of them, but they read kind of your output level and what you're doing. And, um, he would always tell me like, Hey, the team's output level is low today. Like this is where we were at a couple of days ago. This is where we're at now. And that would tell me how to gauge practice on how tired they are or, or, you know, what, what I need, you know, you're going hard in the weight room today. I'm going to go a little lighter or vice versa. I think the communication piece between the, the strength coach and the actual sport coach needs to be every single day. Who's injured, who's doing well, what are we seeing on the field? What are we seeing in the weight room? And I think the coaches also need to take a step back and let the strength coaches do their job. That's what they're hired for. You know, trust your people. If, you know, if, if you are lucky enough to have a strength coach and you don't have to do the, the training yourself as the skill coach, the sport skill coach, sport skill coach, trust them. You know, I, I don't have a degree in strength and conditioning. I don't, I don't pretend to be a certified strength coach. I couldn't tell you. I mean, I, I lifted in college. That doesn't mean that I am a strength coach. You know, I like to work out. That doesn't mean that I know what are my athletes need. Um, I would recommend that all sport coaches talk to the coach and say, Hey, this is what I'm seeing. This is what I need. So example, this person is a third baseman. I need them to be quick forward backwards. Can you do something for that in the weight room? This person is a center fielder. I need good range side to side. What can you do for that? This person is a pitcher. I, I need them to stay strong in their court. You know, there's, there's different, uh, position specific workouts that happen. And your strength coach may not know that if they never played the sport that you're coaching. So you can help them with that information. But on the other side, be a sponge and listen to what they're saying about, this is what we're doing in the weight room. This is how it's going to translate. Um, and, and be open-minded. Like I trust our strength coach to do their job. I'm not watching them. I'm not saying I want to see this. I want them to lift heavier. I trust them to do their job. And, and that's just, I think that comes with some experience but also it's a respect thing, right? Like I wouldn't want someone to come on the field and tell me how to tell the pitchers how to pitch. I don't, you know, my strength coach is at my practice every day and he's not telling me, Oh, Hey, you need to, you need to tell them to get their backside into it when they're hitting um, and vice versa. Dean, anything more for boo? Boo, that was fantastic. Unbelievable. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, boo, I, you know, when I have former athletes on here, I, I tend to get a little emotional sometimes. Um <laughs> I can't tell you just listening to you talk, how proud I am of you and, and just, you know, the way you carry yourself, um, just the thought processes that you have, the way you lead. Um, it, it just really makes me happy. I, I love seeing 
all my former athletes, where they go from a success standpoint. And it, it makes me a little bit happier. Sorry to the ones that aren't in coaching or, or leadership of young people that you're in a position where you can impact our youth, you know, whether it's sports or teaching or whatever it is, but my former athletes that get to go and impact youth because um, they're the next, you know, generation in our country, whether you're sports or not. And I'm just, I can't tell you how proud I am of you um, because at the end of the day, um, you know, you work your tail off, um, you say, you, you send the right messages and this is like coaches and parents, you need to listen to these because this is real. This is, this is real. And um, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm so proud of you, boo. Uh, was, well, I'm cool. so grateful for you, bot. I love you. Yeah. And, and I can tell you, like, I, you know, I went into Wisconsin as an 18 year old girl and I left Wisconsin as a 23, 24 year old woman, if that makes sense. You know, my parents did a great job of raising me, but you and the coaches that I had at Wisconsin really were my finishing school and really yeah. taught me, um, really, really carved me into who I am. And, and I'll, I'll tell parents and coaches this, like, just remember it's your kid's journey, right? Like show up, sit in the stands and show up and don't make the first question. How did you do ask them? How'd the team do? Did you have fun? How'd the team do? Right? Like winning is fun. No one likes to lose. Losing sucks. I hate losing. I hate, I hate losing. I hate losing more than I like winning. Right. But it happens. Um, and I think, you know, I, I attend these games of, of my daughter and I'm like, man, parents are like screaming. And these kids are just, we want to keep them in sports, right? We want to keep them in sports. We want to keep them wanting to go to the weight room. We want to keep them engaged. Like we've got to make sure that we are doing our part as parents and coaches to realize you said, you said the word impact earlier, everything that we do has an impact on our kids. And, and just remember that, like, that's such to me, like we're the, that's, that's the biggest thing that you can have as a responsibility is to be a parent and a coach. Um, you know, but I don't know how you had three boys and I look back now and think about like, you weren't that much older than me when you were my strength coach, you weren't, you know, and, and you had kids. And I actually, I actually used to babysit Brian's kids, yep. um, crazy, <laughs> right? Like full circle yeah. and they're grown up now. Um, but I think, you know, you guys have this awesome podcast and, you know, Dean and Brian are taking time to give back. Like they don't need to do this. They have stuff to do. They know how to be coaches. They know they're, they're, they're the wise men, you know, of, of strength and conditioning. Um, but I think, you know, just like Brian said, give it to at least one person, you know, and, and encourage your athletes to take other people with them to the gym. If they're getting stronger, your team's not getting stronger unless they bring people with them. Awesome. I appreciate you guys having me on. I know, I know it was a lot of information in a short amount of time, but um, I, like I said, but I love you to death. I always will. You're always one of the top people in my, you know, in my gratefulness cabinet. And, um, and I will say this just kind of in closing, you know, a little bit more, a little bit more knowledge, find who your people are. If you have at least five people that you can call and be real with about, Hey, like I, I suck today as a coach, like, what can I get better at? Or, Hey, like I'm struggling with this. Don't be scared to ask for help. Um, it's actually a sign of strength and you're coaching a generation that mental health is real. It is a real thing. It is a really real thing. And you need to be aware of that and make sure that you're helping build that up. Um, but find your five people. Who are your people? When you get off this call, write them down. Who are they? Reach out, tell them they're your people, tell them you're grateful for them. And, and every single day, wake up with that get to attitude. I think that's fantastic, boo. And I think the best part about having your people is, yeah, you know, you can talk to them about, Hey, I'm struggling. I'm struggling. But if they're really your people, and they give you advice that you don't want to hear, you better take that pretty serious because if they know you, you know what I mean? And, and they know, Hey, you're off, you know, this, this isn't right. You gotta, you gotta change your mindset. 
Well, Boo, love you to death. That was fantastic. That's going to end this episode of the Get Your Edge podcast. Um, you better get your notepad out and your pen for this one uh, and let's do it again because this is pretty damn good. All right, we'll see you next time. Chop it. <laughs>